0: We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.
1: Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.
2: I was thinking the other day about how when I was growing up, We had sanitary napkins. We didn't have, like, pads that you pulled the adhesive off of and stuck in your panties. We had, like, these crazy elastic belts that you'd pull the napkin tails through, you know, sort of fore and
3: aft. And they were the strangest thing. Valerie Lee Schaefer was born in South Korea. When she was two years old, she was adopted by an American family. She grew up in rural Wisconsin in the 1960s and 70s. She says it was up to her to entertain herself. She describes her childhood as semi-feral. One day, when she was around five years old, she was playing in the hall closet. Inside, she found a package of sanitary napkins.
2: And I remember, like, asking my mom, are these something that we should be putting on the dinner table with our silverware because i <laughs> because they were called napkins and and i think um she was shocked by the question and just sort of you know was like no, 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 no. you know she didn't tell me what they were instead she didn't there was like, there was a lot of uh you know i don't know almost like uh it was taboo we didn't talk about it do you remember when you got your period i do um i was probably about 11 We had um, a day in school where the girls got pulled into a separate classroom to watch a special film strip. And I know that my mom had to sign a permission slip for me to attend this special learning session. And I think it might have been even sponsored by, like, Kotex or somebody like that. Because at the end of the film strip, we got this cool little take-home package with all kinds of product samples in it. So I had a little kit. I had my little elastic stretchy belt. I had my sanitary napkins. I think there were probably a couple of tampons in there. And this was an era of tampons that came with like a cylinder, like cardboard applicator, sort of like, it, I gotta remember it being like the width of like a paper towel, like core, you know? I'm sure it wasn't that large, but it seemed like it. And it was certainly that dry. Mm-hmm. And that's what I had as my starting kit. I paid attention to the film strip, I'd read all the literature in my little goodie bag, and that is how I navigated my first period. So, even when you got your period, you didn't talk to your mother about it? I don't remember talking to my mother about it. You know, this was 1971-ish. You just didn't talk to your mom about that.
3: I'm Phoebe Judge. And this is Love. Growing up, Valerie Schaefer checked out so many books from the library, she got special permission to get books from the adult section. Her favorite ones were about the occult and fashion. She got a subscription to Vogue, She imagined she was one of the only people in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, that had one. In college, Valerie studied sociology. After she graduated, she thought about going to law school. For a while, she worked as a secretary for a lawyer. But then, in 1989, she saw an ad in the classified section of the newspaper,
2: And the ad was so glamorous and exotic sounding. It was like, do you have experience working with offshore buyers? Do you have experience developing product? And I'm thinking to myself, no, not really. No, not really. But that sounds like a really cool job. And I applied for it. And um, I went in for my interview. Um, I can remember what I was wearing which is so odd because I can't remember what I ate for lunch last week, but I remember what I was wearing to the interview. I was wearing a bright red silk jacket and I had my hair done up um, in a little bun with chopsticks. And I had a meeting with the human resources department, which at that point was um, one person, I think. And then she said, well, I'd like to have you meet Pleasant. And she walked me down the hall and I
3: met Pleasant. Pleasant was Pleasant Rowland, the creator of the American Girl Dolls. The dolls were launched in 1986. Initially, there were three dolls, Samantha, Molly, and Kirsten. The company was called Pleasant Company.
2: I walked out of the office thinking, wow, I probably am not going to get that job. I'm not really qualified for it, but that was a really interesting meeting, and I loved meeting her.
3: But Valerie did get the job. Her first assignment was to buy accessories for the dolls.
2: So my first job there was to help source and secure vendors for all the little things that all of the dolls had. Hankies,
3: lunch kits, baskets, little pets. You could buy beds for your doll from the catalog. You could also get a tiny radio that played music, and a hand-crank ice cream machine that could make real ice cream. And at the time I was
2: purchasing that product, all of that product was being made by actual small artisan um, outfits in the U.S. So, you know, Kirsten's pottery was being made by ceramicists in Cambridge, Wisconsin, and Samantha's hankies were being embroidered by ladies all over the U.S. And, um, you know, as the company grew and the demand for products grew, it really outstripped The ability of some of these smaller artisanal companies to keep up with the demands for quantity.
3: Since 1986, more than a dozen historical dolls have been added, including dolls from the 1990s. Did you have a favorite American girl?
2: What? I can't say that. I love them all equally. (laughs) No, I think I probably, you know, when I started at Pleasant Company, we had just the three original historic characters. Kirsten Molly and Samantha, and I loved Molly. Of course, um, she was. Um, Did she?
3: Is she the one with the glasses?
2: She's the one with the glasses, totally. And um, and then uh, you know, we introduced Felicity during the time that I was um, working. Um, and she's the red-haired one. She's the red-haired one from Williamsburg.
3: When the company was about to release Felicity, Valerie spent months organizing the launch in Williamsburg, Virginia. She was eventually put in charge of the American Girl catalog.
2: And as part of my job, I was also the company's first copywriter since Pleasant. Pleasant wrote every word in that catalog for many years, and I was the first person to take over that job from her. Tell me a little bit about Pleasant. At the time that I was hired at American Girl, then Pleasant Company, it was a time when a person like me with a lousy BA in sociology could get hired in to do a job that was probably, frankly, well beyond my skill set. And she was an incredible champion of, I think, especially young women who were ambitious and had some moxie, who maybe had never done a job before, but she believed that we could, So she is somebody who, to this day, I think of as having been one of the most important mentors in my life. In
3: 1992, Pleasant Company also started publishing The American Girl magazine. The first issue featured a new short story about Molly, the World War II era doll, and a paper doll you could cut out and dress up. It had articles about what it was like to have your parents run for a political office, and interviews with fourth and fifth graders about how they convinced their parents to let them pierce their ears. Soon, the magazine started running an advice column.
2: An American Girl magazine got bagfuls of letters from girls all over the country about all kinds of topics. One of the most frequent things that girls wrote in about was with questions about their changing bodies. And they were always written in this private confessional tone. I'm scared, I'm confused. Is there something wrong with me? I'm getting pimples, it's so embarrassing. I mean, I think it's so embarrassing um, was a really frequent comment that girls made. And it became really clear, I think, to the editors of American Girl that there was a need for something that spoke to the kinds of questions girls of this age had and spoke to them in a way that was informative, certainly, but reassuring, most of all.
3: As Pleasant Rowland and the editors saw how many girls were writing in with questions about things they felt like they couldn't talk to their parents about, Pleasant got an idea, a book, and she wanted Valerie to write it. And it was
2: really... It' um, confusing to me. I had never written a book. I had never written anything longer than a catalog. And so I had a meeting with Pleasant about it. And I think I may have even asked her the question, why me? It seemed an odd choice. And I'm sure the editorial team thought, why her? But I just remember Pleasant saying to me in this sort of no-nonsense way, she said, you are the only person who can write this book.
0: We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Nine West. Winter is finally coming to a close, but you might still fall the very ground beneath your feet with the hottest new trends from Nine West. Nothing beats the confidence the perfect little piece can give you. And their new collections of footwear, apparel, and accessories will let you take on the world in style. Use their Need It Now edit also known as the Nine Edit, to search effortlessly through trends like Western-style boots, loafers, and more. It's time to wear our confidence, ladies. We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24. Okay, here's the situation.
1: Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover.
3: worked with a pediatrician, and they interviewed kids, with and without their parents. What became
2: clear to us is that every girl thinks that they're a freak of nature, that they're the only person who who is experiencing these kinds of changes, that they're the only person who has these fears. They feel alone. Um... And they feel there's something wrong with them. Either their breasts are growing too quickly or they're growing too slowly. Um, They've got pimples or they're wondering when they're going to get pimples and what does it mean? What do you do to make them go away? So I think um, what we really heard was how anxious girls were, how alone they felt, And we heard very much their need to be reassured that what is happening to them or what would be happening to them was absolutely normal.
3: I mean, do do you remember hearing what these girls were saying and looking at the questions that were coming in to the magazine and thinking, you know, it's so funny because it's now, you know, decades later, decades later, and it's the same exact things I was worried about. Yeah, and I think that
2: tells you first of all, that it's not always a question of whether the parents are well-equipped or on hand. It has uh, as much as anything, I think, to do with the natural developmental um, age of that kind of, you know, the developmental age of the child is to believe that you're unprepared, that you're not normal, that you are the only person having these kinds of thoughts and feelings. And that seems to transcend. You know, whatever style of parenting you had at home, or where you lived, or even what time you grew up in. I mean, I think some of this is just natural human development.
3: What was the tone that you were trying to strike? I mean, did you want it to be the voice of uh, your cool older friend or the voice of your mother? What? We always said that the
2: voice of the book should be your favorite aunt. And we were sort of imagining that she was maybe your mother's younger sister, maybe not a lot younger, but because she wasn't your mother, you thought she was maybe just a little bit cooler, and you felt like you could talk to her privately, and that she would keep your confidence. And I think that—so um, that is sort of the voice that we worked really hard to to to, to deliver to girls and to—and to—, and to um, be authoritative but not like your pediatrician is or your teacher
3: is but somebody who you trust a trusted adult
2: your favorite aunt well,
3: what was the hardest part of the book to write what section
2: the the section that i think we spent the most time talking about was certainly the section about periods and about What kind of information was age-appropriate? And not only what was age-appropriate from the standpoint of parents, but from what girls really wanted to know. I mean, I think it's really easy for adults to decide to dump a lot of information on kids because we want to be an open book. We want to give them everything. We want to give them all the information we think we remembered that we wanted. And the boundaries that we put in place for ourselves were... That we're going to talk about as we're going to talk about reproductive organs, we're going to talk about reproduction, to the point that we can answer the questions girls have about their periods. Why am I getting a period? When am I getting a period? Where am I going to get it going to be when I get my period? How will I manage my period? So to answer those kinds of questions required a certain amount of discussion of reproductive organs, but it did not require a far-ranging discussion about sex or sexuality. In fact, I feel like the girls we talked to and heard from were a little bit like, la, 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 not ready for that, don't want to go there yet.
3: Um, But I would like to know what a tampon is.
2: I want to know what a tampon (laughs) is. Where do I put that thing? Is it going to fall out? Is it going to hurt? Is everybody going to know I have my period? How am I going to know when to change it? You know, sort of basic care and keeping maintenance kinds of things. So that's the information that we really wanted to give them, especially in um, a book designed for girls seven and up
3: at that time. You know what I like is that there's all these you know sections about getting your period and things, but but it also seems so much to me to be of the appropriate age because there's also a a whole entire page devoted to what happens if you get gum stuck in your hair. You know that, totally. it, that it seems to capture this very special age, which is you're not a real teenager yet, and and you're not a little kid anymore, but you're kind of both of these things. That's right.
2: And I think that straddling that line was a really important part of of nailing the tone of the book and and determining which content was really right for the book. And um, I think um, girls really wanted to know about, you know, um, growing pains in their legs. They wanted to know about their, what if I chew my fingernails? How do I deal with braces? Braces are so embarrassing. Um, Those things were just as important to girls as you know, what size bra should I get, when am I gonna get breasts, and what about my period? So we, I think the head-to-toe approach of the book gave equal weight to each of those sort of sectors of the body. Girls wanted to know about underarm hair. They wanted to know about shaving their legs. They wanted to know about lice. I mean, all of these kinds of things. And to be able to talk about all those things in the same matter of fact, straightforward, informational way was very much a part of what we set out to do.
3: At the same time she was working on the book, Valerie found out she was pregnant.
2: I was um, an older mom. Um, I got married when I was 35 and became pregnant with my first child when I was, you know, just under 40. So um, it was something that um, I very, 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 very much wanted. And I was by myself in my office um, in downtown Madison when I suspected that I might be pregnant. And I took an at-home pregnancy test by myself in my office. What did you think? I thought, um, oh, um, I, I think obviously I was excited and happy. But for me, I think as a person who was adopted, um, who was a transracial adoptee, a transnational adoptee, I, th- I had an extra special feeling that I was going to meet somebody and be connected to somebody who was biologically a part of me. And I think that's a really common feeling for adoptees to have, especially transracial adoptees. So. I might have had a little extra happiness, I think, about learning that I was going to meet a new person, a new family member.
3: But then, at around 22 weeks, Valerie started to have early contractions. She says her daughter was trying to come early.
2: And, I mean, she was trying to arrive with force. And so, you know, I went to the hospital. Um, I was put on strict bed rest. I did, I did um, my bed rest at St. Mary's Hospital in Madison, flat on
3: my back. The doctors thought she had what they called an incompetent cervix. She had to stay in the hospital on bed rest for weeks.
2: You know, it became kind of my funny little home, you know. I worked there, I ate there, I slept there. Um, I learned how to use uh, the local cab service to get magazines delivered to me. Uh, my husband, Richard, worked a demanding full-time job, and so... You know, I bed-rested um, at St. Mary's Hospital um, by day and had friends and family visit at night. I mean, you were working on the book at the same time that you were pregnant. I know. Isn't that funny? I mean, my changing body. Woo!
3: <laughs> were you thinking about about that? I mean, did, do you think that it changed the way that you were writing the book, knowing that, that you were about to become a parent, That that you— may very well be having a daughter. I don't know if at that time you knew you'd be having a daughter.
2: I did. I did know I was going to be having a daughter. And I, th- I think, ultimately, myself and the editorial team at American Girl felt like we were writing for a particular girl, and for each of us it might have been a little bit different. I think I was certainly writing for my eight-year-old, nine-year-old self, but I think in the back of my mind I also was thinking about a girl I might have someday.
3: we'll be right back.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit
0: drinksmartwater.com. Now streaming, only on Disney Plus.
2: My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour.
0: Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Bierras tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs, now streaming only on Disney Plus.
3: Valerie Schaefer gave birth in March of 1998. She named her daughter Maris, and then a few months later, in September, the book she had been working on was finally published. It was called "The Care and Keeping of You." The whole book is illustrated with cartoons, demonstrating things. The book talks about what kinds of bras there are, and how to find one that fits, what to do if you have bad breath, and how to use deodorant. It's divided into chapters. One for the head, another for arms, belly, puberty, legs, and feelings. At the end of every chapter, there's an advice column, like in the magazine. In the puberty section, one letter reads, I've had my period for a year now. My mom is here to talk to me about it, but I don't want to. I feel like I don't even want to grow up. The answer reads, You sound lonely, scared, and uncomfortable, and that's too heavy a load for any girl to bear. It may be hard to imagine now, but talking it out with an adult who has been there, done that, will make you feel much better.
2: And at that time, most of the response was through letters that letters and cards that we got um, at American Girl. It wasn't the kind of immediate feedback you get from a social media post now. We got lots of mail. And if it, it wasn't universally well received, certainly we got letters from um, people who felt we'd gone too far or who felt it wasn't appropriate for girls. Of that age, and let us know that they would not be letting their child have access to the book. Um, Thank God for libraries. A lot of girls would not have had access to the book were it not for libraries.
3: Are there any letters you remember particularly?
2: I think some of the most memorable letters came from girls who didn't have mothers in their homes or from girls who had single fathers as their primary caregiver. And those letters were really special to me because those girls really, 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 really needed that book. And sometimes we got letters from parents too. Like, I remember particularly a letter from a dad saying that he was raising this girl by himself and he knew these were things that needed to be talked about with her, but he didn't know how to do it. And he was so, so grateful that he had this book that he could leave on her bed and sort of, you know, tiptoe out of the room and leave behind. I remember that letter particularly. And we had letters from girls whose parents were forbidding them from having the information in the book, but they the girls had managed to get a copy of the book from a friend's home or from a library to peek at it in their school's library, and let us know in their letters how much they appreciated having that information available to them. Those kind of letters had a special place in my heart, I think.
3: You you had uh, two daughters. Um, when they got to be kind of eight, nine years mm-hmm. old, I mean, had they seen— the care and keeping of you. I mean, were there just copies of it all over your house?
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was it was on the bookshelves of, of our house, and you know, like every other you know sort of mom of my generation, I was going to improve on what my mother had failed to do, and I was ready to have the talk. Let's have the talk anytime. Do you have any questions for me? Are you concerned about anything? And just like a lot of other. Seven, eight, nine-year-old girls, they did not want to talk to me about it. No thanks. Um, I think I remember my youngest daughter, Raina, saying, Mom, I have the book, okay? If I have any questions, I'll let you know.
3: Does Maris think it's kind of funny that, you know, she and the book were both kind of born at the same time?
2: Yeah. I don't know if she thinks it's funny, but I think that um, she has certainly seen... Especially in these last few years, that it's a book that um, lots of her friends grew up with, and that's kind of a funny thing. Maris often talks about going to a summer camp where they were having, you know, the dreaded icebreaker, where they go around the circle and ask you to tell everybody in the group something about you that they that everybody in the group wouldn't expect or know. And they got to Maris, and she was s- stunned and didn't know what to say, and she blurted out, my mom wrote the body book for girls. And, you know, she said she was very popular in camp that summer.
3: Are there any piece of advice from the book that you still think about today?
2: There's a line in the book that talks about, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to shave above the knee, because that's a lot of leg to shave. (laughs) And I don't know, some of those kinds of things stick with me because they were instances of the book where... We were able to give a little piece of advice that was kind of funny um, and wasn't necessarily straight facts, but kind of an opinion. You can shave up there if you want to, but you know what? If you don't want to shave up there, that's okay too. Um, and I think that uh, it's funny that some of those kinds of things really stuck with with women that I talk to now in their 20s that say, oh ah, yeah, I remember that section about You don't have to shave above the knee. And to this day, I don't shave above the knee. I'm like, hey, all right.
3: (laughs) Since it was published in 1998, The Care and Keeping of You has sold over 5 million copies. Parents are still buying it for their kids today. An updated edition has just been released. If you could have a book for you about growing older, in the same way that Care and Keeping of You was for girls, what would you want it to cover?
2: It's so funny that you ask me that because it's the the most frequent request I get from from women who grew up with the book. When are you going to write a book about perimenopause? And I think, you know, it's really funny, but every age and stage of life you move through, um, you have questions. The the questions are kind of the same. What's going to happen? What's normal? Why do I feel this way? Um, So I think... uh, there are certainly lots of books out there about menopause I often wish there were a book that is as slim a volume as straightforward and as warm and reassuring for women of my age as the care and keeping of you has been for girls answering the same fundamental questions you know you're normal this happens you're not a freak and you're not alone
3: This Is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nidhi Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kinane. Our show is mixed and engineered by Veronica Simonetti. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. And sign up for our newsletter at thisislovepodcast.com slash newsletter. You can listen to This Is Love without any ads by signing up for Criminal Plus. You'll also get to listen ad-free to our other shows, Criminal and Phoebe Reads a Mystery. Plus, you'll get bonus episodes and more. To learn more, go to thisiscriminal.com slash plus. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. This Is Love is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. I hear you recently got braces.
2: I did. When I went to the orthodontist, you know, I had the option of, um, you know, clear braces, behind-the-teeth braces, and I was like, hell no, give me the full metal jacket. I mean, you know, let's rock a tin grin. If we're going to wear braces, let's wear braces. Let's go.